Hello, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we are the voices of Tarbis. And what is Tarbis, we hear you cry? Well, Tarbis is a blog that we set up about a year ago. Yep. To blog about historical places that we'd been to, um, giving them ratings and advising people to go there, really. And uh, to um, eat, because Tarbis stands for Time and Relative Blogging, Including Sandwiches. Indeed. So um, we decided that we would expand a little bit on that and bring you some facts and figures about places, people, events, dynasties, things like that throughout the past as a podcast. Yeah, and because we, we wanted to use different forms of media to geek out over history because it's what we like to do best. It is indeed, and we hope you enjoy listening to it. And uh, if you want to get in touch, give us a review, suggest some things or people that you'd like us to talk about, here's how you can do it. On Twitter and Facebook, and Instagram, and WordPress. I'm saying them all because we all have one name. We are at Tarbis in capitals, history. Indeed, and we would love to hear from you. So, without further ado, it's Tarbis After After Hours. This week on Tarbis After Hours, we're talking about something more recent than anything we have done before. Something that is in living memory of 50% of our parents. We're coming to 1962 and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Alternatively known as the October Crisis of 1962, the Caribbean Crisis and the Missile Scare. Despite being called the Cuban Missile Crisis, it took place in and around, surprise surprise, Cuba. The confrontation was actually between the USA and the Soviet Union and was part of a larger conflict called the Cold War. Okay. Which we'll go into more at a later date. Yeah. Um, But in a nutshell, it was followed on from the end of the Second World War. Uh, The rise of communism in Europe and Asia caused concern to the capitalist nations and a conflict arose, without there technically being a conflict. This is why it was referred to as a Cold War. Mm -hmm. In his speech, given in March 1946 at Westminster College, Sir Winston Churchill likened it to an iron curtain descending across the continent. The continent being Europe. He he really had a good turn of phrase, didn't he? Definitely. I'd... I'd listen, I'd follow Winston Churchill. Yeah, without doubt. Definitely. Um, so basically the Iron Curtain meant that everything that one side did, the other side blocked, and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, the fear of communism spread throughout America, fueled by the likes of General MacArthur into mass hysteria. Relations between the two countries are strained even now. Yeah. Uh, the USA and their allies engaged in multiple, multiple conflicts to try and stop what was termed the domino effect. Uh, which would see countries falling one by one into the grip of communism. Like dominoes. Yeah, the the game, not the pizza. Mm, Pizza. Okay, then. (laughs) Um, It had already happened with the Soviet Union, China and North Korea, like dominoes. If you study A-level history in the UK, you learn about two of these conflicts, the Korean War and the Vietnam War, uh, neither of which were exactly resounding successes for either side, despite what they might tell you. Yeah. Um, An arms race started with both sides trying to outpace the other into building of a bigger, more impressive and more um, terrifying weapons. The world had already looked on in horror at the American deployment of the atom bomb in the Japanese towns of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, um, officially marking the end of the Second World War. Now, the potential for destruction was increasing at a rapid rate, and with tensions growing, it only seemed like a matter of time before more of these weapons were tested. Yeah, I think it was um, Oppenheimer who said when the... because uh, he was part of the Manhattan Project that created the atom bomb, 
um, when they were deployed, he or when when he was testing them, I should say, not when the actual bomb was deployed, but when they were testing them, um, part of the Hindu scriptures came to him, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Wow. Yeah. And that was that was with the atom bomb. This is when things started to escalate weapons wise. So you can imagine the destruction that was possible is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just in weapons that they were competing though. This was the time of the space race as well, um, where the main contenders of the USA, the Soviet Union, and the UK. You know, we had to at least give it a go. Oh well, yeah. Um, were competing to be the first to send a human into space. Technology was advancing at an alarming rate, but the enmity didn't thaw. You'd think it'd be easier if we all worked together, but no, that's not how these things work. Shocking. Um, Then things did reach a dangerous head. In 1959, Cuba, an island in the Caribbean Sea just off the Gulf of Mexico and the southeast coast of the USA, had a revolution. Cuba was originally under Spanish colonial rule, despite American attempts to buy the island from Spain. This was until the Spanish-American War of 1898, when she became a protectorate of the US. Um, They then became an independent republic in May 1902, although the US did retain the right to intervene in their financial and foreign affairs, and they also maintained control of a naval base uh, that you might just have heard of called Guantanamo Bay. Oh, that old place. Yeah, that old place. Over the next 50 years or so, there were a couple of revolutions born from a desire to be free of American governance, but also to end the political corruption that had begun to grow. Um, Despite this, however, Cuba was advancing technologically well compared to other Latin American countries. Companies? What? Countries. Although there was discontent among some of her citizens. This was not to last, however. In 1956, a yacht called the Grandma landed in Cuba, bringing to her shores a certain Fidel Castro. Oh, I've I've, I've slightly uh, heard of that fellow. Possibly. He's only recently, a couple of years ago, passed away, hasn't Mm. he? Um, again, we're just giving you the bare bones here because we don't want to be bogged down in the nitty-gritty leading up to the crisis. We just want to give you a rough overview. So we might come back to the Cuban Revolution, Castro, Che Guevara, everything yeah. at a later date. Um, Castro, along with friends and supporters such as Che Guevara, overthrew the current government and allied themselves with the Soviet Union. America were none too happy, shall we say? About <laughs> putting, it, putting it lightly. Yeah, <laughs> about now having a communist country in their backyard, especially not one aligned with the Soviets. So they tried to take it back. This did not go well for America. Mm. Um, fast forward through unsuccessful coups, definitive losses and the botched Bay of Pigs invasion. We'll definitely come back to that one later. Yep. And America needed to assert their power. So they installed intercontinental ballistic missiles in military bases that they held in Italy and Turkey. This was a clear threat to the Soviet Union, essentially saying that America had them in their sights, so to speak. Um, In response to this, the Soviet leader, Nikita Khrushchev, agreed to place missiles on Cuba as an attempt to deter the US from invading the island again, but also as a way to let America know that they too had the capacity to fight back and far enough reach to sit right next door to them. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Khrushchev and Castro held a secret meeting in July 1962 regarding the building of a missile launch facilities on Cuba, which they then started later that year. The US were aware of this, but they had their own problems as the presidential elections were occurring. Spoilers, JFK won. Yeah. Uh, the information was confirmed when a U-2 spy plane flew over Cuba and captured photographic evidence of both medium and intermediate range ballistic missile facilities. Whoops. Yeah. So they didn't really try and hide it all that well. Well, no, I mean, it it did take a spy plane to find it, but 
still, if, if you can just see it by flying past. Yeah. Uh, they felt that they couldn't ignore the actions of Cuba and the Soviet Union any longer, and on the 22nd of October 1962, a naval blockade was set up to prevent missiles being shipped by the Soviet Union being shipped to Cuba. Cuba? Cuba? Cuba. <laughs> Cuba. Cuba. If you want to try and stick a missile in a tuba, go for it. Yeah, I bet it's been well. done. I bet it's been done. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, to prevent the Soviet Union shipping any missiles to Cuba. Yep. Uh, there was a brief, there was a belief uh, confirmed by the emergence of Oval Office tapes released later that the blockade was also an attempt to provoke Soviet forces in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they demanded that any weapons already in Cuba be dismantled and returned to the Soviet Union. The Soviets weren't terribly phased by the American demands, um, however, but in fact they didn't really think much of Kennedy as a leader. Following on from his reaction to the building of the Berlin Wall, Khrushchev is meant to have said of Kennedy that in relation to Cuba, he would make a fuss, make more of a fuss, and then agree. This wasn't completely the case, however. Um, A secret CIA operation was planned to infiltrate Cuba and sabotage the regime through radio broadcasts and guerrilla warfare, trying to investigate, um, sorry, trying to instigate a revolt against the communist regime, which they expected to happen in early October. So in February, February, there, there, there. <laughs> Put your teeth back in today, last. I know, right? <laughs> in February 1962, the US launched an embargo against Cuba. So they, they were starting to stop it. They, they wanted... They were trying. Yeah. They, they knew it was happening and they were trying to stop it from going any further. Yeah. Now, this podcast is slightly shorter than some of the others, and that's for the simple fact that the Cuban Missile Crisis lasted for a grand total of 13 days. Yeah. But in that time, the world came closer to nuclear warfare than ever before. So much so that the term brinkmanship was coined to represent the fact that we essentially came to the brink of all-out war. Yeah, almost World War Three. Yeah, which, that I mean, we'll, we'll go into later how, how bad that would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, on October the 22nd, 1962, President Kennedy notified the American public about the presence of the missiles on Cuba and explained the planned naval blockade. Um, he told his people they were prepared to use force to stop the threat that Cuba and her Soviet ties presented to them. Whilst this open approach to his people could potentially be applauded as transparency, it could also be looked at as um, stoking the already rampant fires of mass hysteria surrounding communism. So it's like good and bad. Mm. Yes, he was warning his people that this could happen, but at the same time, ah, communists, bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, over the course of the next 13 days, the US considered a number of options to prevent actual conflict, including, but not limited to, bombing the missile sites to all-out invading Cuba. So, avoiding conflict by causing conflict. Mm. When has that ever gone well for anybody, ever? I mean, I suppose it's like setting fire to a strip of land to stop a forest fire. Yeah. But you could also just create a big forest fire. Mm. In this case, probably likely to. Um, In the end, however, Kennedy did decide to try a more diplomatic approach. Once the blockade was set up, he gave the Soviets an ultimatum, ordering them to remove the missiles already on Cuba, making it clear that military force would be used if not. The world essentially waited with bated breath for the Soviet response. Because if anything happened due to alliances and everything, it would not just be those two, it would be the world. Yeah. Um, People in America began to prepare for nuclear war, creating underground bunkers and stockpiling food and fuel. So they were were panic buying, they were preparing 
essentially for yeah, the worst. Because obviously nuclear weapons have been created and you aren't just talking as as horrific and awful World Wars One and Two were this sort of nuclear World War Three would have wiped out cities in one bomb. Yeah, it's it's far more indiscriminate, and it's not just the actual bomb as well. It's then the fallout yeah. afterwards. So they they were prepared for to hide for the long haul. Mm-hmm. So the threat was suddenly very real. By October the twenty fourth, the Soviet ships bound for Cuba were almost at the blockade. If they attempted to cross, confrontation would have started and then escalated into nuclear war. And well, boom. Mm-hmm. Wisely. The ships stopped short of the blockade and didn't attempt to cross. This gave a bit of hope that something could be sorted and war could be avoided. If they'd have kept going, no hope. Mm-hmm. Um, they just now needed to sort the issue of the existing missiles already on Cuba. On October 27th, a second reconnaissance plane was shot down whilst flying over Cuba, and in response, America prepared an invasion force that lay in wait in Florida. I just let you know just how close it is. Um, Florida, Miami is just over 500 kilometres away from Cuba. Wow. So it looks like this, this was it. They were, they were ready to go. I mean, the ships had stopped, yes, but that plane was shot down, so they were ready to mobilise. Yep. Um, meanwhile, desperate negotiations were ongoing between the American and Russian leaders. They were trying hard to solve the impasse before it escalated. Mm-hmm. Um, in a communication sent on the 26th of October... Khrushchev offered to remove the missiles from Cuba in exchange for a promise that the US would not invade. Fair enough, it's fair terms. Um, A further letter was sent on the 27th of October saying that the missiles would be dismantled if the US in turn removed their missile basis in Turkey. Okay. Officially, for the world to see, Kennedy and his administration accepted the first offer sent on the 26th. However, in secret, they also agreed to remove their missiles from Turkey as per the offer of the 27th. So he kind of, he saved face a little bit there by saying, you know, we're agreeing to this one, not this one. But behind it's like, yeah, okay, we'll we'll, we'll move those ones. So were they a little bit correct in their assumptions of uh, JFK earlier on? Make a fuss, make a fuss and then agree. Yeah, in a way, yeah, they were. Yeah, um, their response was delivered personally by the then American Attorney General Robert Kennedy brother to President Kennedy. Keeping it in the family? Yep, uh, to the Soviet ambassador located in Washington. And the crisis officially ended on October 28th. In such a short time, two of the world's superpowers had been on the knife edge of mutually assured destruction, uh, potentially dragging the rest of the world into the fray due to alliances. Yeah, even that term, mutually assured destruction, um, that is as a result of... Um, things like nuclear yeah. war, because if if one started to bomb, then another one, then another one, there wouldn't be anyone left by the end of it. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it's literally a, a, a signed declaration now, isn't it? Mad, yeah. mutually assured destruction to say that all the big superpowers signed it to say that no one would fire a bomb because if one person did, everyone would. Yeah, basically the only things left would be cockroaches and Keith Richards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, that that man cannot die. Like, what what is he even made of? Um, anyway. And literally almost back tea everywhere then. I <laughs> she, did. <laughs> she did. Sorry. You said that while I was with a mouthful. <laughs> Timing, isn't um, it? So, back to serious. Serious now. Yeah. This was quite a frightening and sobering event all round and showed just how quickly things could escalate. Um, as a follow-on to it, it was decided that a hotline would be set up between Washington and Moscow in 1963, so the, the very next year, to aid communication and prevent this sort of situation from ever happening again. Um, I'm assuming that hotline is still in use, but let's not talk about Russian influence in America at the moment. 
Mm, yeah. Touchy subject. Um, <laughs> this wasn't the end of the Cold War, however. Um, this didn't happen until 1991, um, when the Soviet Union, or USSR, dissolved into the various republics we know today, which is still constantly changing. Um, so this, this was in our lifetimes. It's so, it's so scary that it's so recent, we came mm. so close. Um, whilst it helped to foster some communication between the two sides, it did cause a knock-on effect of increased development by the Soviets of their own intercontinental ballistic missiles that could reach America from within their own territory. So, yes, they wouldn't encroach on America to threaten them again, but that was because they didn't need to. So the threat seems to have lessened, but only on the surface, because, in fact, it's actually grown. The fact that they have now, they're now on a path with all the other countries yeah. as when it comes to nuclear weapons. Yeah, it used to, probably people may have felt safer knowing that one country was bigger than the other, knowing that there was always possibly a, another country that could almost be like, you might be big, I'm bigger, stop. Yeah. But now everyone's almost on a level, play, level playing field. Yeah. Which, on the one hand, is good because you can't out... Like, no one can outmatch another country. But at the same time, when everybody's got a gun and they all fire at once, everyone will die. Mm-hmm. It's, it's scary. Mm. We've come a long way from uh, when two groups of men would go, or sometimes women, would go off to a field and hack at each other for a couple of hours with swords. We've come a long way in a very short time, and it's not necessarily a good thing. No. No. I know a lot of... Um, there were a lot of treaties signed after that, um, like you say, is the the mad mutually assured destruction. Um, there were also disarmament treaties saying that they should dismantle nuclear weapons, specifically towards the communist countries. And um, we had Iran are now under a nuclear, um, like a nuclear watch, so to speak, and North Korea. That's going on at the moment. Yes, uh, potentially. But Donald Trump is so saving that relationship. I can't believe these words are ever going to leave my mouth, but credit where it's due. This is recorded, Carrie. This is recorded for everybody to know for future. You know what? I I said the other week that I was wrong and that's been recorded, so whatever. I've got nothing to lose now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, don't get me wrong. I do not agree in any way, shape or form with Donald Trump. The majority of his stuff, no. No. Um, I think he says the right thing to the right people at the right time. Whether that's just cleverness, luck, or good PR, I don't know. But he has paved the way for talks with North Korea in a way that no other president has done before. But what has he had to promise to get those talks? What has he had to promise? And are we potentially looking at one lunatic with big bombs talking to another lunatic with big bombs? Mm. I mean, forget the blind leading the blind. It's the insane leading the insane. And with so, their big bombs, they're probably overcompensating. Oh, definitely. I mean, him and his <laughs> tiny hands. Really. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's our own political Yeah, there are our own personal yeah. views. And yeah. Carrie and I do differ on our political views, so if we were to ever discuss them, don't just, I wouldn't want people to assume that we think that we all follow the crowd, because we are quite different. Yeah, we are quite different, but we know an idiot when we see one. Yeah, I think that's actually one thing that most of the UK can agree on. Yeah, it's like... Their no, dislike of Trump. Yeah, no matter how <laughs> bad the likes of Farage and Boris Johnson can be sometimes. I mean, Boris Johnson's great when he's not running for power. When he's stuck <laughs> on the zip wire waving flags, that's the Boris Johnson we know and love. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Why are you waving? No one can see you. I'm pretending I've got flags. <laughs> but yeah, um, 
no matter how bad they are, they are not. I will build a wall because I'm the best wall builder there ever was. Trump. Mm. I'm not entirely sure what the accent was. I do apologise. I don't know. However, if you voted for him, I'm sure you had your reasons. We respect that. Definitely. Yeah. And there's probably things in the UK that we don't know. Oh, yeah. Donald Trump. We don't... If I'd been in America and you'd heard everything that had been said, I'd like to think I wouldn't vote for Trump because I Mm. don't like anything that he stands for. But I didn't watch all the political party stuff. I didn't watch... Didn't read much of it because, to be fair... I don't live in America, so I ignorantly, yeah. I didn't pay that much attention to the election campaigns. But I do think they were the be- the neither of them. He's the worst of a bad situation. I'm not sure yeah. Hillary, Hillary Clinton was just as good. The same as you could talk now between Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn in the UK. Mm. Neither are great, but Theresa May is the best of a bad situation. Yeah, the lesser of two evils there. Exactly. I mean, would you rather have a ditzy woman who can't control her own party or a psychopath? But she can dance. <laughs> can she, though? You've not seen can her, she? like, strut on. Yeah, that, that's, why I'm, <laughs> that's why I'm incredulous there. I mean, she can run through a wheat field. She can. <laughs> <laughs> Only when she's feeling naughty. God. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if that was, like, the worst thing I'd done in my life, I would kind of brag about that a little bit. I'd be like, yeah, I'm that good. That's all I've done. I don't even know what the... I wasn't saying I don't know what the worst thing I've done is, but I'm not... I probably do, but I don't think I want to yeah, stay on a podcast. Stay on a podcast. <laughs> it's not that bad. Oh, God, now that even sounds even worse. <laughs> God. Is it legal? Yes. Maybe. <laughs> no. No. I don't know. <laughs> okay, we're just going to stop there. This has gone a long way from the Cuban Missile Crisis. I'm not intentional. <laughs> so, yeah. Cuba. Yes. Um... It is, there is still, there's a lot of sources about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, because of the whole 100 year law, like things come out after 100 years, yeah. we're still waiting. Um, there will, It will still be a while before we know the full facts of everything that was done. But, 44 years. Yeah, um, some things have been, some things have yeah. been released so far. A lot of it's still redacted, obviously because of the involvement of the CIA. Mm-hmm. Um, but, there is a lot of information. So if you are currently studying it at A-level or GCSE yeah. or for any other reason, um, I hope what we've said tonight has helped a little bit. It gives you a rough background. Um, we'll also put our sources and things in the notes so that you can have a look. Um, and, yeah, it's there's a lot of information out there, so always, yeah. always double-check. And I think in our history at the moment, it probably, even how bad things may seem in the world and specifically in the US and the UK at the moment... I don't think we've been as close to World War Three as we were during the Cuban Missile Crisis. No, but thank God, common sense prevailed. After a fashion. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was. In a nutshell, that was, that was very, very quick. Um, but as we say, it only lasted 13 days, so it's not very long. Yeah, um, apologies. But... If you want to leave a review, have any questions, anything like that, um, leave it in the show notes. You can contact us on Twitter. At Tarbis History. Instagram. At Tarbis History. Facebook. At Tarbis History. Or you can go on our blog. Blob. On our blog. (laughs) Go on our blog with a G. Yep, go on our blog. At Tarbis History. On WordPress. And. And. On Stitcher to listen to this podcast. Spotify and Apple Podcast, mm-hmm. iTunes, and Spotify, and Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout, yes, that's where it all starts. We're everywhere, but it's just at Tabas History everywhere. So yeah. if you want to find us, have a chat, have a comment, have a like, have a follow, 
at Tarbis History everywhere. We were lucky that no one else had called themselves Tarbis History. No, this is true. So we get everything. Monopoly! Yes. But if you've also got anywhere or anyone or anything that you'd like us to talk about, just kind of do the research for you, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Let us know. We're Definitely. more than happy. We, we've got plenty of ideas, but we'd always welcome some more. 100%. Now, this is the our regular showpiece. Uh, ridiculous deaths. Dun, dun, dun. Now, weirdly enough, and this is weird, which is probably kind of sadistic of us, there are no ridiculous deaths that we can find that happened in the 1960s. I mean, there's plenty of sad ones, but none, yeah. none that are amusing. No, so to speak. So I've gone to the 1760s. Okay. So it's still in the 60s, just, okay. you know, that's, 200 that's years before. It's for a dude called Adolf Frederick. Mm-hmm. He was the king of Sweden. And kings, even Swedish ones, attend a lot of banquets. Yes. So in February 1761, Frederick um, entertained a particularly lavish banquet uh, that was being held in preparation for Lent, you know, 40 days before um, Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. um, knowing that the following 40 days would feature fasting. Um, the guests at the table felt free to really, shall we say, indulge. Okay, makes sense. Like, store it for the winter, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so Adolf Frederick was particularly enthusiastic diner and managed to pack away lobster, caviar, various fish dish- dishes, a pile of sauerkraut, all washed down with plenty of champagne. For, for dessert, Frederick, a man who knew what he liked, consumed 14 dishes of semlor, a kind of sweetbread roll served in a bowl of warm milk. Sounds gross, because I cannot handle soggy bread. Like, bread and butter pudding. See, to me, that actually sounds quite nice. Yeah. But I I like bread and butter pudding. Yeah, I can't handle soggy bread. Like, dipping it in... uh, Nah, dipping bread in soup. I can't. Control yourself. Control yourself. Breathe. Okay, I'm okay, okay. Okay, I'm okay. Uh, So, King Frederick, he um, actually developed complications in his digestive tract. Uh Uh-oh. And he soon died from overeating. To be fair, there's quite a few monarchs that have done that. But the fact that the ironic part of his death was the fact that he died of overeating before fasting. He held the banquet to celebrate the Lent before they'd be giving up some food. He died of overeating, yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, Lent is all about sacrifice, so I suppose that sort of counts. Yeah. I'm not totally sure what I'm giving up this Lent. I normally do. I don't really believe in it, so I don't think I'm going to... I don't believe in it, but I use it as an excuse to give something up for 40 days. I normally give up, like, crap food or... Crap food meaning, like, unhealthy foods, takeaways, sweets, chocolate. But it starts on the 5th of... The 6th of March in the UK. Mm. And... You're going away, aren't you? I'm going to Canada for two weeks. And there's no way I'm not having my Tim Hortons or my Dairy Queen or my root beer. It's just not happening. Other coffee and ice cream facilities are available, but... Nah, not in Canada. Not in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) No no others exist. I will not believe it. See, I would give up coffee, but uh, I turn into a monster without coffee. I I get the worst headaches. I concur. Yeah. We've gone on a bit of tangent a little bit of this podcast. Hey, you you can message us if you have any suggestions of what we can give up for Lent. Please don't say podcasting. That's going to be depressing. If someone said, give up your podcasting. So yeah, we love you too. Yeah, thank you, loyal fans. Yep. And, uh, well, oh, that's it. It is. Yeah. We are. That's been been quite a nice half an hour. And not nice, you know, nice as we learn about something quite 
upsetting and quite dark in our in our recent history but as a podcast it was quite it's been nice to sit here and chat with you it has nice nice brew we had a nice brew on the go to be fair yes yes that is a stolen cup of tea it was wasn't it i ain't bad at making tea uh, true brit true brit so now we're gonna head off and uh, we shall see you later bye speak to you next tuesday